everybody. Welcome to Last Minute Politics. I am Pepper Coyote, and I am here today with Kerther. Kerther, we met, uh, to actually tell people about, uh, how did we find each other? What did we do the other week? Well, the first time we saw each other was back in 2019, though we didn't interact much then, on BFF. And now again, well, a couple of weeks ago, in BFF from 2023, and we got to interact and talk about when we went to the, how do you say kioski in English? Kioski in English? I have no idea. What are we talking about? Oh, the, the kiosk. kiosk. The yeah. kiosk <laughs> the is ki- what do we call the, the ki- <laughs> you say kiosk in English? Yeah, just the word. Well, kiosk is like the closest, but it's funny because in like American English, when you talk to an American about a kiosk, that's going to be. It's like very small counter thing that is stuck in. So actually, this does work out for the same kind of meaning where it's stuck <laughs> in a place that isn't wouldn't fit an entire complete business. You just put like a little stand. I see. Heck, the like the cell phone case kiosk in the uh-huh. in an American mall would be like one of the first things we'd think of. It's like a guy with small stand who has, hey, I'm selling blah blah blah. Where in Brazil. Uh, oh yeah, BFF Brazil Fur Fest in Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> when we hear about, oh, we're gonna go to the kiosk. The kiosk is open. It's basically a bar, like a, a full-on bar, bar restaurant thing on the beach. Yeah. So yeah, giving a little context, BFF is Brazil Fur Fest. So I'm Brazilian. So sorry about any language barriers, uh, accent, and whatever. Deal with it. You're actually the second, I'm pretty sure second, I don't think third, the second Brazilian I've had on this program, and it's not, oh, really? I don't intentionally go out seeking Brazilians, <laughs> but I was, I'm always struck, or I have now been struck two or three times now, by the, I at least international political similarities between me and the Brazilians that I talk to. I don't run into nearly as much disagreement when I'm just saying my ba- like my basic, I believe this and this and blah, blah, here's my general worldview. I tend to get a, a bit of agreement <laughs> from Brazilians. Yeah, I, was, I really wasn't expecting us to end up talking so much into politics when we were there. Yes, just we did drinking. not like go to the Young Communist League and like meet each other at a... <laughs> At a at a Lenin appreciation meeting or anything, but just we just get into there. general. Yeah, we get into talking about general politics, and again, especially international stuff, because I don't know a ton about Brazilian domestic politics. Just like Kerther does not know as much about American domestic politics mm-hmm. as somebody living here. But when it comes to like when I can say, "Hey, man, it's pretty dope that Lula is not going along with the United States hegemony," but like, yeah, that is good. I. We... <laughs> It's nice to be in a place (laughs) that isn't just marching in lockstep with the United States. Heck, I'm going to be able to say that when I go to Mexico and like go to Confurer here in October. I'm excited to talk to some of my Mexican comrades about politics because freaking he was supposed to be the most like milquetoast liberal president. And then AMLO gets in there and the U.S. is talking about invading Mexico. You know, you're doing something right (laughs) in international (laughs) politics when the United States is threatening to overthrow and they start calling you a regime. Have they have we talked about the Lula regime yet? Oh, yeah. Because that's when you really know he's doing good shit. (laughs) It's very funny how your government 
is no longer a government. It's not a, re a regime. Funny how words wanna, change. When I want to refer to the Biden regime. <laughs> you start doing that, it makes people look at you weird, and you're like, what? <laughs> it's our word, right? Regime. We like this word, right? We, we tend to use it a lot. Strangely, when we don't like the country or the government. So on... I think it was Saturday night, Saturday night or Friday night, Friday night, I think, Friday night of Brazil Fur Fest. Uh, Brazil Fur Fest is, okay, let's just talk about furry stuff for a little bit here. Brazil yes. Fur Fest is a, what we would consider a smaller con in the U.S. while being the largest con in South America. Yeah. Like, they broke a thousand people this year, correct? Yeah, nearly there. I think it was 900 and something, 900 and, I don't oh, remember so But yeah, it, it was it's really close to breaking a thousand. So I only bring that up because room parties are at this point in United States conventions like uh, an established thing that happens at every <laughs> every con yeah. is going to have some level of party floor that that level of uh, I don't know acceptance tolerance of loud room parties in business hotels has not yet developed in Brazil. So the the one floor that was having room parties, they they got shut down relatively early and we find a group of people, a group of friends partly intoxicated because they had just come from a room party and they were <laughs> planning to be hanging out all night. They're like, "Oh, our stuff got shut down for various reasons. We're going to the kiosk." <laughs> and I I'd luckily been to Brazil at least once. I'm like, "Oh, you like by the beach, you're going to the beach?" Like, "Yes, it is 3:45 a.m. when I'm hearing about this and we start walking." So it's after 4 a.m. by the time we find get there and everybody's like a little bummed out but also you can still go to the kiosk where they're still serving booze <laughs> at four in the morning would actually close earlier than that but i think we were just having so much fun there and just well buying stuff they just kept open the wait staff seemed happy they were smiling like, oh. hey, man, blah, blah, blah. like they were not given the impression of like we want to get the hell out of here <laughs> please let us leave no no they, they they really did seem very fine with it and I got to do, I, I can't do this often in America because I, like I've kept saying to people in Brazil, in Brazil, I'm like relatively wealthy in the U.S. I'm relatively poor. So the fact that I could just be like, all right, how, what are you, 15 of you? I'm buying around for everybody, <laughs> which, cost, yeah. which cost the same as if I had bought, if I had gotten half of a, a U.S. bar half a beer each it would have cost as much as like i would like your slightly nicer cachaça everybody Damn. <laughs> yeah no the our currencies have buying five reais brazilian reais with one dollar does have its advantages yeah it's five to one we feel ratio. That a little bit when we go to argentina for example I really want to go to Argentina because I keep I heard that from several Brazilians. They're like, "Oh, we go to Argentina and we are rich." I'm like that means I could like yeah, pretty much I could own Argentina. <laughs> I just need to show up. Yeah, I would say so. Yes, I'll buy a the, county. The Argentinian pesos are really down there. <laughs> so we're talking. Uh, we're hanging out. It's four in the morning, and the two of us. Like it's like you said earlier, we did not find each other because we had interest in speaking politics, but it just kind of happened. I can't help. Them. I end up talking well, about you that. We found stuff. each other because you needed help buying a caipirinha. Yeah, it was like, all right, who has <laughs> enough English that they want to help me? Because <laughs> I have the patience. I'll talk to people. I'll do a little bit of charades, a little bit of Google Translate. Use the like three words I know. Like Genetics. I know, I know cachaça, and I know how to like count. <laughs> I know, I know how numbers work. <laughs> but it's when you're in a group, especially 
especially when you're already intoxicated, it's just the easiest to be like, all right, who's bilingual? Hey, when they come, tell them to do this than this. And they'll know the way to get that easier usually. But we ended up talking about international politics because I, yeah, I don't, I don't walk around with a big sign on my face being like, talk to me about the BRICS bank, <laughs> but it, I, I end up bringing it up all the time. <laughs> I don't know. What do you remember talking yeah, about? I think it started with you making a joke. You saying you promised you would not make a joke on stage that this time you guys would allow Lula to stay. Uh, that's the joke I wanted to make. Uh, which I, I, prom- <laughs> I did promise that I would not talk about Brazilian politics because Brazil had a presidential change recently. Also, there's a lot of parallels between Brazil and the United States where you, oh, yeah, definitely. a lot of Brazilians would say that they just had their Trump, whatever that means. You had Bolsonaro yes. in there, like right-wing populist dude doing a lot of stuff a lot of people didn't like. And then uh, President Lula da Silva uh, returned. He, he was previous big deal politician in Brazil. And uh, he was put in... It's not as cut and dry as the United States went and placed him in prison, but it seems like the CIA tapped his phones and then uh, caused a scandal that is known as Operation Car Wash. And depending on who you talk yeah. to, that's either a legit thing or a weird false flag screw over the president of a, a foreign nation for what's that R word? Regime change. Seems like they did that before uh, Lula sat in jail for quite a while. And then he got out of jail, ran for president and won. And so the joke I wanted to make was, hello, Brazil. I hope you are all enjoying your President Lula da Silva. The United States is considering allowing you to keep him this time around, meaning not put him back in jail. Because, <laughs> God, and there's just so much freaking to that. Because the U.S. left recently, until he became president, was talking about how Lula is the greatest guy. Because compared to Bolsonaro, yeah. um, it's very easy for American liberals to go, oh, this guy Lula is clearly better. Is- no matter what, if you like him or not, you got to give him something. He, he's a very good politician. He knows how to do business. And it doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, what side you're on. He is very good at doing politics. There is a... He's very experienced there. The conversation you'll have here is there are no... like. How artificial or how controlled is the United States quote, resistance, like our leftist branch? Uh, I will argue that we don't have a left branch because none of the people, mm-hmm. none of our most prominent politicians who will get on and say lovely things occasionally, they don't even bother saying lovely things anymore, but they are entirely unwilling to take and wield power. Lula says things and... Uh, I can't really speak to his domestic policy because I'm not Brazilian. It's not really like that doesn't really hit me in the same way. And it's not really my place to be talking about. But when I look at international politics, he is willing to wield the political power. (laughs) He's talking to the U.S. and telling them, no, he's telling the United States, no, which is the most dangerous thing you can do as a world leader. (laughs) But again, we are in a good place in time to do that. The U.S. is already strained. He's already dealing with too much. So to say no to to the U.S. right now, it's a good time. It's the thing. You're not going to get Gaddafi'd or (laughs) that's like still controversial to talk about because a lot of Americans still think that Muammar Gaddafi was like Hitler. I don't know. (laughs) Like where in reality, they didn't want to go kill Muammar Gaddafi until he uh, started talking about making like the United States of Africa and making a Mm -hmm. separate currency. That's an African currency. Kind of the same stuff that's happening now with BRICS. I'm, I'm going to get way, way ahead of, uh, ahead of myself topic-wise. 
But not the, again, but not yeah, that Muammar Gaddafi has nothing to be criticized about, but the United States seemed to not give a shit what he was doing until he started to go against United States hegemony. We didn't give a fuck about Saddam Hussein until he started going the tiniest bit against U.S. hegemony. And not in like a way I would not in like a beautiful communist socialist way. It was just like a, a money situation where he went from our guy in the 80s. Oh, we love he's we're going to get President Hussein in there to bring freedom and democracy <laughs> to just, you know, yeah. decade later. It's oh, we got to kill him. Remember that Saddam Hussein got a lot of money, weapons, and training for their troops and groups from the U.S. Yeah, he's our guy. They became a problem when they no longer wanted to play along. That's like the South American strategy. Oh, now they're a problem. We did that exact thing to most countries in South America. We trained a guy, got him in there, and then, you know, whatever happened, happened. Like the Brazilian dictatorship that ended in, what, the 80s? (laughs) In the 80s, yes. Started in 64, ended in the 80s. President Biden has attempted to end uh, asylum at, at the at the United States southern border. U.S. listeners, we talk about the, the word asylum all the time, how pundits will get on TV and talk about, well, if you want to come to the United States legally, you need to come to the United States legally. You got to sign, sign the guest book on your way in as if it's that simple. And uh, we will then reply, well, they are. Our asylum rules are you must present yourself in person at a border crossing to seek asylum. So, if you walked, if you are on foot, walk into the uh, U.S.-Mexico border, go to an immigration checkpoint and say, I am here seeking asylum, there you go. You've done it. That's the legal method. And that doesn't mean you get in. Yeah, it doesn't mean you get in automatically. They'll be like, all right, here's a slip of paper. Go back to Mexico and wait till this court date that might be four years in the future. And then there's big camps of people just all sitting there waiting for. But that is the legal way you're supposed to do it. So let me read from Al Jazeera here, because remember, Biden was coming in to help and stop the horrible, inhumane, destructive, the cruelty is the point policies of the Trump administration, right? Where we were just like kids in cages, messing people up at the border. So here's Al Jazeera. uh, Separating children from their parents. (laughs) Kids in cages. A United States judge has ruled that a key tenant, tenant of President Joe Biden's border policy is in violation of the country's asylum law in a decision hailed by rights groups as a victory. When I first read that sentence, I, I read a decision hailed by right groups, as in like politically right, like it conservative. Did the same. Uh-huh. And then I had to reread it. I was it really go, confused. What? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what? It's a victory? That because you're thinking, oh wow, Joe Biden, his he must have had some wonderful open immigration policy, and this horrible mean judge is striking down this cruel and inhumane policy of the Trump administration. All right. Uh in a ruling Tuesday, U.S. District Judge John Tigar, T-I-G-A-R, John Tigar, <laughs> great name. Thank you for pronouncing that before I did, because I was really confused. I didn't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> I think it could be. It I could didn't just know be. if it was John Tigar, John Tiger, John... It could be know. Tiger, for all I know, pronunciation, but I would assume it's something different. John, oh, here we are. Uh, let's, you know what, just for the heck of it, because I know Americans like uh, right, left, uh, team-based politics. Let's let's look what team he's on. Let's check it out. Do you think he's the good team or the bad team? Previously, a California state judge. Okay, Alameda County. Let's see who was he appointed by. Appointed by Barack Obama. Okay, so he's on the good team. Okay. But it's the good team fighting the good team. So it really starts making these metaphors stop making sense. U.S. Judge John Tigar <laughs> blocked a re. 
oh, a restriction put in place by the Biden administration in May that effectively bars most asylum seekers from being able to apply for protection at the U.S. border with Mexico. If you'll remember, that is the exact same situation that we were criticizing Trump about previously. Trump about. Yeah. However, the ruling will have little immediate effect at the border because Tigar stayed his decision for two weeks to give the administration time to appeal to a higher court. So basically, you're being super criminals, but you get two weeks to just keep doing that and figure it's like if someone was robbing your house and they're like well okay you have two weeks to fix that whole robbing their house situation because you shouldn't be doing that uh, however <laughs> right. the biden administration within hours appealed to the u.s ninth circuit court of appeals the reuters news agency reported the ruling is a victory said katrina island deputy director of the americans of the aclu uh, immigrants rights project who argued that the case brought by a number of human who argued the case brought by a number of human rights groups. So she's the opposing lawyer, but she noted that the success was limited each day. The Biden administration prolongs the fight over its illegal ban. Many people fleeing persecution and seeking safe Harbor for their families are instead left in grave danger. Island said in a statement ahead of the administration's appeal, the Biden administration has touted its policy as being responsible for a steep drop in irregular crossings at the U.S.-Mexico border in recent months. Fewer than 100,000 people were detained in the border in June, the lowest total since February 2021. Like, man, if you, if you live here, you would swear that the Democrats are illegal immigrants, that it's a party made entirely of illegal immigrants for how much they crocodile tear pretend to give a shit and the kids in cages issue ha only have has has more kids and possibly fewer cages. We will occasionally reduce the number of cages, but not the number of people occupying them. And you go from mm. having our our most progressive politicians, your Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's, who I'm not obsessed with because I personally think she's responsible and powerful for everything that's going on, but she is the most effective liar about getting elected and uh, again not gaining power because she's not really using the power. She just is a placeholder. It could be anybody up there. She might as well be Diane Feinstein. She might as well be name a politician you hate. Might as well just be them. She went from taking staged photos of her taking a knee and like hands and face a crying at the southern border to now she refers to them as like immigrant detention facilities. We are simply detaining that like she's gone full nonsense. <laughs> like you look at the problem and you just go, oh, no, that problem just doesn't exist. We're just going to change the words to it. Regarding this policy, I actually had one question for you since you're from the U.S. Do you think that these policies Biden is pushing has anything to do with the elections next year? It's very interesting because, yeah, well, the way it seems to go is the Biden administration, when they want to market themselves to like send like, you know, regular liberals, I don't even like using the word liberal because we only have a single liberal party in the United States. We have the mean liberals and the nice liberals and the quote nice liberals like they really care about the aesthetics, about giving the appearance that we're ki a kind, welcoming, open, a country of immigrants, as we stay. And the right mm -hmm. is very concerned with, like, getting that number. That's why I have the fact they throw out there, like, fewer than 100,000 crossings this month, which is the lowest number since. So they will simultaneously use statistics like that to go after the mean liberals, I say in giant air quotes. Where if a conservative person or central person will be like, oh, we got to get this border under control, they'll say, well, Biden has done 
that. And then you'll go over to the progressive wing and they will simultaneously try to tell us that he is the most progressive president in history. He has the nicest immigration policy ever, especially compared to mean, awful, terrible Trump who behaved differently, I guess, somehow. And it's entirely incoherent and fact free. Like American politics are no longer based on facts at all. Nobody who's going to be voting for Biden gives a shit about what I just talked about. And if I bring it up in another few months when we get around to election time, they're going to call me a liar. They'll say I'm spreading disinformation. They'll call me a Putin puppet. Like, even though this has nothing to do with Russia, they would, they, that just gets thrown around at everyone for everything. If you disagree with the U.S. hegemony at all, you're probably Russian. Oh, you don't think Israel should be bombing Palestine? Well, Mr. Kravnatsky, why don't you go back to Moscow? Like, that's the sh- kind of shit you get. Like, there's no thoughts. It doesn't matter what the thing is. It only matters who said it or who signed it. We'll talk more about that later. You, you brought up Israel. And one one thing that I felt was that there is a lot of discussion about internal discussions between the Democrats. And I don't know if it's the same there when we have discussions within our left here. There's always a group that argues that we shouldn't be having those discussions, that those discussions only serve to break our u- union, or break our groups. And... I think that's pretty awful because we need to be a union, but we also need to push to push our not not exactly our views, but we need to be able to criticize and push our groups and push our left further towards what we feel should be our left. So there, there there's always this discussion about should we criticize should we not criticize how should we criticize how internal criticism is viewed and i fe- i felt that this discussion within the democrats had some similarities to brazil here if we're talking about uh like people actually in power having quote discussions i think those are mostly for show when you talk about making some kind of unity i don't even disagree with the concept of yes there must be some kind of unity but i keep over and over bumping into this problem of who is that unity supposed to be with and along what lines because i the the farther i get into this the more i realize that I, like the more i keep referring to them as one party with a good half bad half because that's what materially it is if it does not matter which good or bad cop is in charge the same things are getting done well then you got to you got to kind of look elsewhere as to like okay so what's really going on it doesn't matter if we vote for the nice guys or the mean guys the same thing happens So what is the dividing line if it's not good guy, bad guy of the Mm -hmm. same party? I increasingly find it that if I am uh, uniting myself and allying myself with the working class over the owning class, I tend to be more correct. I hate that word even in this. I tend to be more on the side of my own interest and the interest of 99% of humanity. Mm -hmm. I am told over and over by the nice guy liberals why I need to be uniting uh, across class lines with good guy owning class billionaires. 
why I need to make more there excuses. I need to make more excuses for those who have these <laughs> massive platforms, massive power when compared to me, who also don't seem to even use that power. They are only like talking heads. They don't even actually have power. They just have social. We don't have, there is no political power anymore. There's only the vibes. Like no one's out there actually trying to grab power and do something with it. That could actually get people. Because you know, what are we uniting behind? Are we uniting behind whether we paint the missiles red or blue <laughs> that seems to be the only thing under conversation is who sends the bombs. <laughs> the bombs are being sent regardless. And some of them to our own country. I'm not even talking about entirely foreign wars. We bomb our own blocks all the time. If there's, oh, there's terrorists over there. We've decided these domestic act. We are arresting socialist groups. There's like a black nationalist group like a few months ago getting hauled in by the FBI. And it's like, oh, you can't unite with them. They were Russian agents through like the flimsiest nonsense ever, but we are allowed to ally with the Koch brothers. We're allowed to ally with like the billionaires of, Oh, a billionaire is buying a bunch of land and he's going to give it to the native Americans. I'm like, damn man, I have a bunch of bridges. I'd love to sell you. <laughs> if you believe that shit <laughs> for even a second, yeah, Elon Musk, he's just going to buy a bunch of land and do good things with it. Those are the people we should really be unifying with, right? The owning class. <laughs> So yes, I do think we should be uniting, but that unity must be along class lines, and that's going to involve a lot of people who the current media apparatus and uh, freaking political apparatus would tell you are like Nazis and the worst people in the these powerless hick peons who have no control over the shit. You're supposed to think that they're the ones ruining your life, much in the same way that right-wing people are told that immigrants, <laughs> these powerless people who work for no money, like are they're the ones actually responsible for it. Like it's just as ridiculous in the opposite way to think that powerless minorities and gays and immigrants can ruin your life or powerless rednecks with no shirt, no property and too many kids that they're the ones really, yeah, they're the ones truly driving the, the badness in your life. Yeah. Here in Brazil have, we're not in the same situation with party wise. How we many parties do you have? have? I have no idea how many <laughs> we have a few more prominent ones. Definitely. Let me rephrase it. Like how we many have... effective, actually different yeah. ones do you like? Is it like a two? Is it like three? <laughs> is it just like Imperial anti-Imperial? <laughs> is it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Through the past few years, we had two pro more prominent ones, definitely, which were PT, uh, Labour's Party, pretty much, Labour's Party, and PSDB, which is a more right-wing party, basically, summing up. They, they used to fight over presidency more often, and Lula, for example, is from PT. When you say PT, the, the that's, that's just the, the letters PT. Partido dos Trabalhadores, PT. Yeah. Which, yeah, even Wikipedia just calls uh, Workers' Party. I assume it means like Party of yeah. Workers. <laughs> it was supposed oh, to be. Oh, Trabalhadori? Like, is that, is that the T? Trabalhadores, yes. So, yeah, literally Party Workers. Workers, <laughs> workers Party. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> I roughly translated it to Laborers' Party, but both work. But we do have, outside of presidency, way more parties that, I don't want to say divide power, but that fight over power with more consistency. For example, we have PSOL, we have PSOL, we have P 
PL. Party uh, for Socialism and Liberation. PSOL is Partido Social. Liberdad. That's Spanish. <laughs> no, it's not from Liberdad. Socialismo y, y Liberdad. But, anyway, but yes, it's a more left-aligned party here in Brazil. So we do have a few more voices. A few of them have actually come closer to presidency a few times. Uh, with Bolsonaro, he actually brought a few other parties from the from the right wing. And but what I wanted to come with was we we don't share the same problem party wise. We do have a few more, but for example, when I when I wanted to talk about how we criticize our left and this union is in order for Lula to gain the political power to win the elections again, he did make a ton of alliances, both with more left-wing left wing aligned parties and what we call Centrão, a central party they call themselves. They are pretty much right-wing parties and right-wing parties defined as right-wing. This Centrão is one of the most bizarre things here in Brazil because they are pretty much parties that try to define themselves as neither leftists nor right. They are just technical. Do they have a consistent line themselves. when it comes to like Western influence? Like, Are they more or less against the US or does it depend on what's going on at the time? Oh, no, no. They, they will always align themselves with, with the U.S. generally, yes. That seems to be what no I think the there. real division line would be in Brazilian <laughs> politics would be. And unfortunately, with most countries that aren't either the U.S. or Britain, hell, even Germany, they just do what we say at this point. Australia, just mm -hmm. do what we say. So the U.S. is in the unique position of the one party with the good bad guy one because who are we arguing with? Oh, we need to reduce blank countries influence. Like what? <laughs> we like try to make up that like, Oh, China's taking us over. <laughs> you said China's taking us over. I, I just remembered something absolutely ridiculous and not related at all, but just something that I love that we are, we playfully say that we are taking over Portugal now. <coughs> and <laughs> and we love it. You're definitely taking over the Portuguese language. <laughs> Precisely because of that. Yeah. Basically, Brazil is so much larger that when you dub something, it's more financially interesting to do so in Brazilian Portuguese. I've seen several video and games I played recently. The language option just says mm -hmm. Brazilian Portuguese. It doesn't even say just Portuguese. It says, mm -hmm. and there is no standard Portuguese. Just, would you like Spanish, Italian, Brazilian Portuguese, French, Chinese? <laughs> but because of that, many children in Portugal are starting to learn Portuguese with our accents. And they are fucking desperate. They hate it, and we love it. And we obviously play along and say they were colonizing Portugal back. <laughs> and I love that. Sorry. It's almost, I had to bring that along. It's almost like how like most of American cultural influence is African-Americans. Like, well, we suppressed African and slave culture for so long. And now, what's the most popular genre of music in the entire globe? Rap and hip-hop. 
Which I consider like these genre, like these artistic expressions would not be exactly the same if they like I that makes me not like USA USA for my government, but I'm proud of things like jazz. Jazz is a uniquely American thing that would not have come about without the mixing of African rhythm and Western mm-hmm. like harmonic structure, and then you put them and then eventually you end up with jazz and then eventually becomes rock eventually becomes hip hop. Like I actually like it for that reason. I kind of hope that kind of, that uh, you can have some kind of Brazil, Portugal, like, you know, when we have a, a world that's less artificially competitive and more friendly to everyone, it's like Brazil, Portugal. Yeah. Look at us. We together have created a mixture that would never have been possible. <laughs> and it's not in English. Oh my goodness. We actually got something done. It's not. <laughs> I have a, a, a partner article to go with that first thing I was talking about, where uh, my my general point when I talk about the two part the single party that has like a good cop bad cop scenario going on, the amount of criticism you receive in the U.S. from you, know, ha- you say half the country, but it's not half the country. Not even half of our country even votes, let alone then you break that into then its own halves of like you okay. So it's like twenty percent mm-hmm. of the country really. Where if if you say you voted for Trump, or even that you think, hey, Trump had X good idea, or even just thing Trump did wasn't a hundred. Like look at it in a, a more nuanced way of just oh that was what Satan did. If you're Going to criticize people who support who support former President Trump and his policies because of the policies, does it not logically follow that if another guy does the exact same stuff that he sh- that you should receive the same kind of like like the same weird he reaction right the same criticism same kind of criticism but he does so with a better speech <laughs> I want to throw up and you can argue how, oh, this is just some random appointment of some random guy who, this is a, who is it? Jack, this is Jack. I also pulled from Jacobin. Jacobin is a, one of our controlled socialist newspapers where it's, it's, it's part of the, we have a, we had a thing in the fifties called the Congress for cultural freedom where the FBI and CIA were like, oh no, all these leftist movements are popping up. We better, and it's not that they came out with their own fake homegrown from the ground up brainwashed people. They just strategically decided who they would support and push and get published. And they kind of turned a lot of revolutionary leftists from the 50s into controlled opposition. Jacobin Magazine being one of those, one of the outlets where they would, oh, we'll get you published and we'll get you a paycheck and we'll get you this nice academic job. And now suddenly you're not really rabble rousing too much anymore because you don't want to mess up your speaking tour. And then you become controlled opposition. It's not that you become evil. It's that, hey, you want to pay off your house, right? And then you you just gradually (laughs) fall in. And if you don't fall to that influence, then you just die in obscurity and never make any money or... (laughs) Like you're not going to get published by the New York times. You're not going to be sitting on these councils with Hillary Clinton talking about women power and getting a giant check out of it. That's just not going to happen to you. If you're, uh, if you're actually a principled leftist or a revolutionary for God's sake. So this is, uh, Elliot Abrams has left bloody footprints across the globe. From Latin America to the Middle East, Elliot Abrams has advocated foreign policy responsible for untold violence and destabilization. Victims of those policies deserve justice. Instead, Joe Biden has rewarded Abrams with a top appointment. Oh, don't worry. I think he worked for the Trump administration, too. So I'm not just like shitting on one guy. My point is, same guy, same thing. Why is this considered a different? Mm -hmm. He did, yes. 
One bright sunny March morning in 1980, Archbishop Oscar Arnulfo Romero was saying mass at a church hospital in San Salvador when a bullet from a sniper rifle ripped through his heart. Romero started life in ministry as a conservative, but after his friend, Father, Father Rutilio, Gr Rutilio Grande, was assassinated to discourage other faith leaders from supporting Salvadorian peasants, a people's workers uprising, like, you know, communism, uh, Romero went, underwent a political and theological conversion. Picking up where Grande left off, Romero embraced a theology of liberation, a perspective that espouses God's preference for the poor and oppressed. He opened a fucking Bible <laughs> and read the words of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I do remember a, a, a saying that says that it's easier for... How how was that? For a camel to go through the the eye of a needle, than for a rich person to to cross the the gates of heaven to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> yes, uh, that that was a rough translation from I'm, what I know from Portuguese. Oh, that's pretty much perfect. That's exactly what the hell they say in English. Easier for me. But it's just always funny to me where it's like this conservative preacher changed his ways and started talking about how, what is it, God's preference for the poor and oppressed. <laughs> it's, I don't know how you become a what priest a without picking up on that before you're already a priest. But he got there eventually to the point where they killed him over it. So really props. His visibility as archbishop elevated his voice and the credibility of his critique of the conditions faced by peasants in El Salvador. Basically, there was a guy, a populist archbishop, telling all the poor Christian peasants, by the way, why are they all poor Catholics? Because Spain showed up a couple hundred years previously and forced them all to be Catholics, and now one of the Catholic priests is like, hey guys, how about you like seize power for yourselves? Uh, <laughs> the Beatitudes themselves, like, those who are last will now be first, like, the poor are the most beloved, like, all this shit. Let's use that and take control of our own country and stop selling all of our shit to the United States and stop like starving and having no plumbing and electricity while our just billions and billions of dollars worth of resources are sent around the globe. Why, why did they kill him? Uh, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they decided they had to shoot him. And who's the guy who ordered him to be killed? Elliot Abrams. That's what they're telling this whole story in the in to begin with. And Biden is sticking him on fucking panels for foreign policy. Like he's still in the foreign policy <laughs> zone. He still gets to sit at the round table and give opinions. This month, President Biden nominated Elliot Abrams to join the State Department Advisory Commission on Public Diplomacy. Abrams' history is not secret. In 2019, Representative Ilhan Omar, one of our good politicians, grilled him before Congress. Is she going to vote for Biden? Absolutely. She already endorsed him. Abrams served for 12 years as part of the Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush administrations. During that time, 75,000 Salvadorians were killed. Abrams called U.S. policy in El Salvador a fabulous achievement. Why don't you get shit on if you say you're a Biden voter? Why don't you get shit on for fucking with other countries, for being anti-immigration, for being pro-empire, for being pro-Salvadorian death in this case? Like, you think we stopped doing this in 1981? You think the U.S. just quit? You think we're not doing this exact same fucking thing in Syria right now? And other countries who I cannot talk about for fear of someone getting mad about it. I feel it's mostly because people feel they need to have a, an alternative, mostly. Like, if you don't see Trump and Biden, the, the both sides as from good cop, bad cop as the same, you feel you need the alternative. And the alternative from the bad cop is the good cop. What I feel the most is you guys need an alternative from the cops. 
you guys need to build a way to have an alternative. And fuck, that's gonna be hard. Especially as, as things are already built. I would love to have... We, we need to gain an actual left and the thing that's gonna that keeps mentally blocking Americans mm-hmm. I know who, who agree with, I'll go on this rap forever. And they'll be like, yes, 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 I agree, I agree, I agree. And then I'll say, okay, so this means in order to get that kind of power, we have to unify along class lines and not among... Mm-hmm. Uh, ideological or moral or religious or racial or sexual, like all of those lines. I mean, obviously you don't ignore those things. I'm not going to say that like, oh, we must now ignore the entire history of, of various oppressed groups. Like, no, I want to acknowledge the history of these oppressed groups and actually get them something. I'm sick of like adding mm. new flags and holidays. I want to start adding new paychecks and like property deeds where they now have houses and food and education. Like, I think that's how you actually win, not by the simple, like sticking a rainbow flag on a, <laughs> and then they suddenly are lost. They're like, "What are you saying?" Mm-hmm. I have to talk with these other poor workers who are uneducated and have uh, what I consider like rejectable opinions. It's like, yes, yes, you do. You have to go. <laughs> you know what? A lot of those Salvadorians I, did not mm-hmm. ab- agree with abortion rights. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they grew up Catholic. Because the Spaniards stuck a religion in their ear a million years ago. And yeah, their opinions are a little messed up. Are are is the better option to say no? You no longer deserve liberty and freedom, or is it okay? We'll work on that. We'll we'll educate them a bit. But in the meantime, let's get them plumbing, electricity, jobs. Yeah. Yes, education alone won't do much, especially with people that don't have the luxury to actually think towards the future. <laughs> they have to think about tomorrow's fucking lunch. Like, we're talking about literal farmers. <laughs> so, I, I feel there are a few things that could eventually help. One of them being the electoral system itself. I find it so weird that the, the, the American election has only one round of voting. That actually is what problem from the little I have learned. Basically, mostly because you get so desperate, for example, not to get Trump the most votes, you end up voting for the only one that actually can win against him and stop voting for other parties that could actually be interesting. So here in Brazil, we have two rounds. And by the end of the first round, if, if a single candidate actually gets over 50% of the votes in the first round, he gets immediately elected. It has never happened. So people can get the luxury of voting for who they feel should be the president and who they would like, the party they would like to see growing in the first round. And then on the second, the two, the two parties with the most votes, they are the only ones that get to be voted for the second round. So we have the luxury of voting for a smaller party on the first round. And that gives us the possibility, for example, to see what parties are currently growing, what parties are getting more voice, getting more more, opi- more good opinion from the public. And that actually, for example, gives us the opportunity to see that voting for the, for the Brazilian Communist Party has grown in the, in the recent years. And then, okay, on the second round, it's just Bolsonaro and Lula. All right. But we have a first round that gives us, give us, gives us more options. And it's the reason why we see a little more different parties and candidates showing up 
and growing within our politics. That's one thing I, I feel is, I don't know how hard it would be to change in the US, how long it would take to get people talking about it, enough for politics to start talking about it and moving towards something that regards, I don't know how strongly people believe in the current election system, considering over half of, about half of the people don't vote, I don't think many people do care enough or believe enough <laughs> in the election, election, electional system there. I could be talking shit right now, I have no idea. South America's kind of uh, lucky. That's definitely one point. So it's not that South America's lucky, but South America is is the the only reason I have not a hundred percent abandoned electoralism. The point you're talking about about getting a better electoral system, like these very easy logical changes that could be done in the U.S., like I don't know, rank choice voting, uh, like the only way you can have the power, the political power, to make those kinds of changes ever happen are by having the political power to make those changes happen. <laughs> like, we we keep like, oh, if we fix the election system, then we can start getting a better kind of politics in the U.S. Like, nah, dude, the mm -hmm. only way you're ever going to yeah. get the fixed election system is by having <laughs> better politics. Like, you have to have the power to make it happen. Why did Lula get elected again? It wasn't because everyone um, asked Bolsonaro very nicely, and he said, you know what? Yeah, no, definitely not. But I think there is one more key point there. I don't think simply voting for Biden or Trump or whichever good comeback comes along is the key to solving the ele electoral system and making, making things happen there to make changes. We need people on the streets and we need people who think like we do and people who would like to see those changes making their voices be heard. And here in Brazil, we have a few, I would, I, not just candidates, candidates is not what I'm talking about here right now, but we have a few people here starting small channels on YouTube or streaming sites that talk about communism, politics, history, geography, talk about what other political figures or other influencers, if you want to use that word, are talking about. We start having a wider range of public accessing those discussions. And I think that's one very important part of the process. We need to get people interested. We need to get people talking. We need to get people showing their opinions and showing their... really making their voices heard on the street. We need pressure. And yes, rioting is a pretty good use of, of making voices heard, though not usually the most well-seen and easily stained on mass media. The U.S. is getting increasingly, like, not increasingly, like, if you, if you look at the, uh, the like, the Black Lives Matter protests a, a few years ago, I think mm -hmm. in 2020, like, I obviously supported those protests. If you look at the oh, yeah. actual change that came from them, the Democrat, the good guy party moved in and they have funded the police even more than the Trump administration did, even though vote, if you look at it through our, represent, our representative democracy lens, we supposedly voted for people who would do the opposite. And the reason we were out in the streets and I was personally like campaigning, going door to door for freaking Bernie Sanders is because we thought that we were going to get some kind of results and we just keep getting shown over and over again that in our current 
in the current in current U.S. politics, that just isn't how it goes. They just take our votes mm-hmm. as, oh, they clearly support everything we're going to do. And uh, what are they going to do next time? Vote for the bad version of our party? And that has worked since like the 80s, 70s. Like, I don't know how far back, as long as yeah, I've been alive. And again, we come back to a point you brought up before. Yes, going door to door worked in a sense. You did get Trump out. You did get Biden in. Now what? This year, Where did oh this boy. People, those people go. <laughs> Where did those people go? There's a weird stat. They need to remain on the street, forcing Biden to do what they put them there to do. I see it as this insidious thing. When these people vanish, they let you. Problem. They let you burn yourself out, and I think it's done on purpose because everybody who participated oh, in those last ones, is. they go, "Oh, well, that didn't do shit," and then they just stop voting. Like. The people who voted, there's a surprising number of, actually mostly black people, but white people also, who voted for uh, Obama two times and then voted for Trump because they're like, dude, we keep voting for the guy who's supposed to do the good things and he doesn't, so now we're going to vote for him. And heck, these elections, they probably just don't vote at all. It just like drives people out of the process, which I think is their actual, like the actual owning class goal Mm. because the fewer people voting, the easier it is to try and swing and control these elections because you're not trying to influence the whole country to think a certain way. You just got to get you know four or five percent of the edge case to try and swing this man we need people to remain on the street remain it keeps getting results south america keeps getting results like in freaking bolivia was the first one i was aware of that really got me a little inspired where i'm like you know what maybe we Mm -hmm. freaking can maybe some countries with certain if they already have the political power apparatus there in place why were they unsuccessful in overthrowing uh bolivia's government with that little coup the u.s did again a catholic coup they stuck a weird catholic lady in who was saying like i will kill all native bolivians (laughs) it's like jesus christ Christ. And they still, that's who they pick to, to put in front of the thing versus uh, Evo Morales, who was elected on the back of mostly native Bolivians and poor Bolivians, like not the European uh, wealthy. It's, it's the wealthy part that makes them think this way, not the fact that they're European. Uh, like the wealthier strata di- uh, rejected him. Then they went in like, oh, Evo's a dictator. And Evo said, oh, no, we can just have more elections if you think our last elections were squirrely. And they're like, shut up. We can't hear you. And then the military rolled him out of the country and what happened in the next election the his same party the the MAS movement towards socialism won with a greater percentage of the vote than they did last time that was a test of bolivia's democracy and because bolivia already has all these other political structures in place and the power gained from actually doing shit for your actual people it didn't work like briefly mm. morales was out of there for like a few months and then boom new election guys right back in colin evo hey man we did it <laughs> like everything's still cool <laughs> <laughs> I mean, freaking Peru is now a kind of, a, what was it, Nicaragua. You got Ortega right back in. I do think it's weird that it's like the same guy. Like, maybe it shouldn't be specifically Ortega and his wife every time because it looks like a political dynasty dictator. Even though it's undoubtable that his policy versus the American puppet's policy, he's I'd rather have Ortega in there. And now we're going to see what happens with Peru, where Peru, they elected a socialist guy. He does not seem to have that political power strata, though. Remember, they did like the self-coup. Actually, can you, what do you remember? Because I'm given like a quarter of a remembrance and I'm half a planet away. What do you remember about the whole Peru voted on a new constitution and that new constitution was by all accounts pretty kick-ass, had some good stuff in it, like new, like people's bill of rights, blah, blah, stuff in it. And then like, 
uh, he was trying to like dissolve his own government because the government itself is made up of a lot of people who don't want to do that. And then he's like flee into the Mexican embassy and like what the hell's going on? What do you remember from that? Uh, like what last year? I can't say I remember much. I if you didn't hear more than me, that's fine. I just heard a few things. <laughs> just on the so, off chance you're like, oh yeah, I I was super involved. No, I, I unfortunately <laughs> I, I don't think I can say much about that. I heard very few things and mostly to do with Brazil. Especially with how we were copying cop, cop, copying some economical economical policies. Sorry. I I was starting to remember the words I wanted to use. Oh, no, you're fine. I got editing. Take as long but, as you want. <laughs> but yeah, no, I take everything I say with a not just a grain, but a lot of salt, because I really don't remember much about that discussion. Most of what I heard here in South South America was related to Chile. How do you pronounce Chile in English? That's actually it. You just say Chile. Chile. Oh, okay. Everybody else says Chile. Uh, I was you, would, you guys would pronounce. <laughs> you just say Chile. I was afraid you guys would pronounce it. Way different, differently <laughs> for some reason. But anyway, so we did have a lot of issues. Got caught up with, with Chile, mostly because we were copying most of our economic economical policies from Chile, regard, especially regarding... Uh, what's the word for it? Uh, the government mostly paying those who have already worked their days. Pensions. Talking about Pensions. pension and retirement. Thank you. Retirement, yeah. Mostly retirement policies. And that was chaos. That was got most, a lot of elders in Chile committing suicide because they could no longer bank themselves. They could no longer live. And they felt like a burden to most of their families. And it got a lot of elders in Chile to suicide. It was insane. And we were copying those economical policies. And that's why... I was a little bit more aware of Chile, but I can say the same about Peru. Chile got a a, a bit of a, it's again you, you never know. It's like years in the future you'll know what how what kind of job they were doing. But they also have, have got out of there. They have like a soft social democraty kind of leader. I haven't heard much about them, so I don't know what they're doing. I assume if I don't Currently, care about yes. people, it's, yeah, it's just like their current guy was better than the last guy. That's all I. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> It's when I start hearing about it's when countries start fighting against fighting with uh, what, what the U.S. wants them to do. That's when I start having opinions. And both Mexico and Brazil and Bolivia have have been in the papers. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Last, because we're now at an hour, so if I start trying to end it now, it'll only take another fifteen minutes. A thing that, that I no. I mentioned at the beginning how you were the second Brazilian that I've had on the show, and while I was at Brazil Furfest this last. Uh, a couple of weeks ago i don't know if you're familiar with the thing and i don't want to harp on it too long but in the united states i am considered a controversial political figure because of a couple of opinions that i hold on international politics like foreign policy things no one fights with me about what i think should be happening in america because we all pretty much agree about how we need housing and food and education you know all, all the basic domestic stuff that everybody wants i don't get arguments with that but I get arguments when it comes to U.S. foreign policy, and it seems that in Brazil, I just don't like. I, I'm not talking to only like <laughs> hardcore hammer sickle communists, because like communists aren't even like the majority of Furcon attendees. If anything, Furcon attendees are going to be 
closer to liberal because they're going to be like a little bit. They have enough money that they can travel to Santos and go. <laughs> even though a lot of people are doing it with you know the tiny bit of savings they can scrape together, just like how I'm attending for cons with the tiny bit of money I can scrape together, you still end up leaning towards because you're going to be more online so you're going to be reading more american media watching more american tv etc so i would expect if anything the furcon attendees to be less radical like it'd be running into less freaking mm. leninists yeah i would love to have actual poll not polls but have an actual numbers have an actual study about about the topic because i mostly stuck with my own bubble and strangely, my own bubble is very heavily leaned towards the left. Especially compared to American sensibilities. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. But that, that was a surprise to me because those bubbles I was in, it, they, they didn't come up just because th those are people who I talked to the most. And if that was it, it would be understandable because those would be people with views that come closer to mine that make me comfortable being there. But those bubbles were mostly like groups of artists. Yeah, you're not seeking they could be out anywhere in the polit political spectrum, you know. And then suddenly I start seeing discussions popping up, and, and I, okay, most of them see themselves as communists for some reason, for one, one reason or another, you know. Most of them are actually in a, in a communist group that I, I later joined, and I was like, okay, I should talk about this with them. And then I discover a handful of them are already in there. They were already in there before I was. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's nice, actually. So my biggest, uh, the, the biggest source of controversy, there's no way for me to ask this without, I mean, everybody already kind of knows. Describe to me what uh, your opinion on the situation in Ukraine and your, I don't know, wishes for it. Like, I know you're not a diplomat. Like, what are your opinions on that? As <laughs> some of us say... In the, this fight between the U.S. and Russia, we cheer for the fight. We root for the fight. But what do you mean? This is a fight between Ukraine and Russia. The United States has nothing to do with it. Oh, of course not. <laughs> like, do you see what I'm but, going yeah. there? How as a Brazilian, it seems ridiculous for mm -hmm. me to say that. And how if I said that to any other person who is, doesn't live in U.S., <laughs> Canada, Australia, even Australians would be like, I might even give a fuck. Like, That's the U.S. Like, the U.S. is just lending a hand to the poor Ukrainians, of course. That's how far apart we are being able to talk about this with some of my fellow countrymen. Because if they watch <laughs> our media and they're like, we are simply helping out in a fight between two mm -hmm. sovereign nations. Yeah. And here in Brazil, you will find many different views. Of course, from my bubble, we will talk about how it's pre pretty much a proxy war between the US and, and Russia. But what I can say is, I'm, I'm trying not to step on eggshells there. But yeah, from my point of view, it is a fight between the US and Russia. Don't don't <laughs> shield yourself for like my account. Heck, the three sentences I said Fair before enough. this are going to be enough to be like, Pepper's a Russian puppet. Pepper's paid by the Russian government to think what he thinks. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the fuck they would say. Fuck Putin. And fuck Biden. Before everything else. We start there. I don't disagree. Putin is an anti-communist. He's like been fighting against the shit that I want also. <laughs> but yeah. In this whole Ukraine thing, we... We play a lot with how 
in a lot of media here from Brazil, and we see a lot of media from outside as well, most Ukrainian soldiers need to have something blurring their, their arms because of Nazi symbols. And then we go ahead and see headlines like, oh, uh, Nazi symbols from Ukraine help support the idea that they're actual Nazis. And like, dude, what the fuck? If you wear Nazi symbols, what the fuck are you? Did you listen to the show three weeks ago? (laughs) (laughs) I just happened to be talking about, yeah, there was the New York Times page where it's like, we all need to stop (laughs) making a big deal out of the fact that all all the Ukrainian soldiers that get on TV happen to have swastikas on or like nearby symbols because that really is helping. It's just the Russian. It helps Putin. It's helping the Russian propaganda. And I'm like, why don't you go yell at the Nazis who are such ungrateful motherfuckers that they're going to take 110 billion of our dollars but won't take off their patches? So, yeah. And this is not me saying, oh, then Putin is right about what he's doing. Nope, not saying that at all. Not saying that at all, but I don't cheer for anyone on that fight except the fight itself. Imagine, <laughs> see imagine if good Palestinian freedom fighters were wearing swastikas. Oh, imagine! Shit. So yeah, in our media we blur the swastikas, we blur any other pendants or whatever symbols they are wearing. Paint that off as oh, don't say that too much. It helps Putin's. Propaganda. It helps put in speeches about uh, the whole issue. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Know, I don't even know what to say. I think that we're gonna have like there's gonna be a changing <clears throat> of arms here soon because they keep like now they're like seemingly getting annoyed at Zelensky. Like if you remember the last uh, the big international like G20 whatever summit, and you have the fi- the pictures of Zelensky just like off by himself, and none of the other like Angela Merkel and all that. Oh shit. That's not even her anymore. Mm-hmm. Like all the world leaders just don't want to seemingly want to be around him. And then he's on the internet being like, they're not giving us enough money. And then the Biden admins like, you need to, Hey, like they publicly reproached him for that. I'm like, Oh shit, it's over. It's done, dude. Vladimir, you got to start putting on even more bulletproof vests. You're, <laughs> you're going to find yourself out of a job here in a minute. If the U S is sick of you, <laughs> the silver lining, I think as we spoke earlier here and on the kiosk in Brazil, it is. It's good to see how that strains the the political, political and economical power in from the U.S. enough for us to start actually speaking about doing international international uh, exchanges without the dollar. Do you have do does, how do people in Brazil talk about bricks? Do they talk about Belt and Road? Like, because it seems like a huge deal to anybody paying attention to like nas- international it's finance. Been a bit of a, it's been a bit of, it's been on the headlines here in Brazil. Though I wouldn't say all Brazilians talk about this all the time because mostly we the same as in the U.S. as you described are jaded. From politics, <laughs> so most people tend to not speak too much about it. So, I have my groups, my my own bubble, and not even in there. Most people want to talk constantly talk about politics. Some do, and with with those, we do talk about the BRICS. But yes, we've had some headlines about the BRICS, especially since we had recently. I don't think it was a month ago or. Two months ago, something, some, something like that, like twenty countries asking to join the BRICS. 
whole lot of people talking and about it. And mostly because we started talking about doing commerce without the dollar. I don't know if Americans can appreciate just how big of a deal it is to be able to switch from it using is. someone else's currency to using your own and why countries would be like, oh my God, yes, sign me up immediately from just how much, not just how much you lose in the basic simple exchanging part, but in just having zero control over any of your own trade because it's like you're using freaking Chuck E. Cheese tokens. You don't get to control the value of a Chuck E. Cheese token. That's Chuck E. Cheese who does that. And you're just sitting there helpless like, how much is it going to be worth today? How much rice can i buy this month how much oil can i buy next month and it keeps people in a perpetual like oh god like things are falling like it's it's a control mechanism it's mm -hmm. like nakedly so it is it's so much of big of a deal in a control mechanism not just the dollar itself but how those exchanges happen through american banks which gives the u.s the power to stop other countries from doing commerce and suddenly the americans see themselves losing that power and of course that means retaliation there will be retaliation i think that's why mo a lot of countries are afraid of doing too much why they were afraid of doing that before how do we do that without the u.s having already a strain keeping them from retaliating other countries they already couldn't china because china's fucking huge both in political and economical sense. Brazil is not so, not so small either, but it's small enough. But of course, with BRICS, we have China there backing us up. That really is... They, they, ugh, it's Everyone told us in the United States that President Trump was going to be a huge disaster in every way. He was going to make all of our economic rivals suddenly start teaming up together. Uh, and when did that happen? After we decided to do another proxy war that managed to piss off enough people that now Russia and China are now friends. And now you can do one of these banks because what does it need? It needs a big enough guy to basically like mm -hmm. out-bully the other big guy in China and Russia and Brazil combined are easily big enough of a guy, <laughs> let alone oh, yeah. India, <laughs> who is also like, they're like kind of like India is, I, I think India will go whatever way economically helps them. And because they don't like China, I think it seems that the general attitude in India is that like, because they have like a border fight, them and China are always like bitching about oh, our border and like Tibet. But as soon as they can like get over that shit and actually start working together, oh God. Like, and I think as soon as the US does the wrong thing to piss off India, they're going to go. <laughs> like, why would they not? Unless, of course, China also could do something to piss off India so much. They're like, F you, we're going full West, baby. But. You gotta see. I, I don't even think <laughs> the U.S. needs to piss off China, India. It's just more interesting to be able to do commerce without dollar, with their own currency. My only fear is just switching from having to, to deal with the U.S. and now having to deal with China. Most of our international commerce is with China, and that's an issue. Not because of China itself, but because we need to be able to do commerce with a wider range of countries. And you want to have your own stuff. One. Like, it is an issue oh, to yeah. have China do everything economically, because that isn't good. And it seems, again, just going off of, like, what people say, you never know until it gets done or not, China seems to be going, look, we want to help you make a thing in your country so then you can make more of your stuff mm -hmm. and then sell it to us at a slight discount. Like, and then have a good economic deal with us in the future, which is better than the U.S. coming in and saying, like, do it or we will kill you. And then 
we might kill you anyway. <laughs> like, de- depending on the situation, we might just have to change your regime anyway. I wanted to point out fun fact of who's the BRICS president. It's a lady named Dilma Rousseff, who you may know as former president uh-huh. of Brazil <laughs> in 2011. She was, and it, like, it doesn't necessarily matter people's backgrounds. I have a senator right now who used to be like a black block, full face paint, blow up a cop car protester, and now she is the Kirsten Cinema is such a piece of shit. But if you look up Rusev's history, she was she fucking in the nineteen sixty four after a coup in Brazil, she joined left wing Marxist urban guerrilla groups and was fucking captured by the military and tortured in the seventies. Captured by the military and tortured yeah. during the dictatorship. And then they were like deposed by the CIA and the whole dude. Her history is heavy. I have been Pepper Coyote. This has been Last Minute Politics. Uh, My wonderful guest today has been Kurther. Thank you very much for talking with us, and I hope we'll talk again sometime soon. Maybe. Thank you. I was very nervous to be here, but I've had a lot of fun. (laughs) All right, now we say bye for a long time. I pulled out the word bye. Bye! Bye!